Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Today is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing. We are glad in it. It is Monday, November the 25th, 2019. I'm your host, Carmen LeBurge. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. And uh, over the weekend, I saw, uh, along with my husband, Jim, It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. We saw it on Friday night with a packed theater. Let me just go on record as saying I agree with Adam Holtz. This is the movie of the year. Uh, And... You know, it's fair to say I don't see a lot of movies in the theater. Uh, this is a movie that probably does not require the big screen in terms of your experience. But I will say there is something about watching this with other people and then having the opportunity to talk with them about the shared experience of watching the film, particularly a couple of piercing moments when Tom Hanks, who plays Mr. Rogers, looks right at us. He's going to look right at you. He's going to look into your – I'm just going to warn you in advance – at one point in the movie, he's just going to square up, look into your soul. And he's going to invite you to do something for one minute. And it's unusual in uh, in any experience in life right now to spend a full minute in silence. It's really unusual to have that happen in a movie theater on a big screen. Like where there's literally nothing happening There's no noise. There's no sound bed. There's certainly no talking for a full minute while the lead actor, in this case Tom Hanks, is ultimately looking right at you. Uh, It is a redemptive film at several levels. Um, I absolutely think it's worth seeing. It's honest um, and therefore worth seeing. It, it stimulates conversation in the car or over coffee um, after the show, and therefore it's worth seeing. Uh, there, there are some lines that I would recommend you listen for. At one point, um, <clears throat> Andrea, who is uh, the wife of maybe the uh, other person who you might consider the lead character, whose name is Lloyd. Um, Lloyd is a skeptic, is maybe a short... He's. He is a person who has been wounded severely in childhood, severely wounded in childhood. And his encounter with Mr. Rogers as an adult um, helps us see that unless we deal with the pain of childhood, we can never live as adults in in a healthy relationship with our spouse, with our own child, um, with those around us. If we don't um, understand that we are precious then we have a very hard time turning to other people and treating them as as precious. And so uh, Mr. Rogers at one point says, I think the best thing we can do is let people know each one of them is precious. Andrea, again, Lloyd's wife, at one point says in the film, oh, Mr. Rogers knows my name. And it made me recognize that there are just a lot of people who don't know that God knows their name. Do you know that God knows your name? 
do you have like a breathless recognition of it sometimes? Like, oh, God knows my name. God knows me. And and that not be a fearful thing. That be a positive, joyful, like warm you to your toes kind of thing. God knows your name. Um, Mrs. Rogers, at one point, uh, she calls her husband Raj, by the way. And she acknowledges to Lloyd, well, we don't call him Mr. Rogers at home, which I thought was kind of a funny line. Uh, and then... And then there is this uh, exchange between she and Lloyd about her husband being, like, considered a saint. And she has—I mean, I I don't remember it verbatim. I mean, I'm watching a movie. I'm not uh, taking—I'm not taking notes. Um, But I I, I took a mental note of the fact that she resists calling her husband a saint and says he would resist that as well because that, that suggests that who he is and the way he lives is not attainable for the rest of us. And she's arguing that it is like Mr. Rogers wants everybody to be as nice to everyone else as he is to everyone. Um, And the authenticity of Fred Rogers is, I think, the ultimate takeaway. He is authentically who he is. It's not a role he played. It's not a show he did. It's it's who he is in Christ. Um, And so it's a beautiful uh, day in the neighborhood. Won't you be uh, my neighbor is an excellent question for each of us to ask today. So who is my neighbor? That's going to be a question that's going to sound familiar to those of us um, uh, who have read the scriptures and know Jesus. Who is my neighbor? It's not only the one who extends mercy. It's also the one who needs mercy. Sometimes you're the neighbor in the ditch who needs some help. And in the words of Mr. Rogers, sometimes we need help. And that's okay. So wherever you are today, um, won't you be my neighbor? We'll be right back. David Atchison. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at David W. Atchison. You can also find him at HigherCallMinistries.org. David, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. I'm well. Thank you for rising early and joining us. Let me introduce you to our audience. David is a marketplace minister. He is a commercial real estate professional. He's the founder and director of Higher Call Ministries uh, and the Retail Christian Network. So for those of you in the world of real estate, um, this is your guy. Uh, but also for any of us who are Christians operating in the marketplace today, this is your guy. And so, David, thank you so much for uh, for what you do every day. Let's talk about a higher calling. What is the higher calling? And how do Christians in the marketplace benefit from reflecting on and then pursuing a higher calling? I think the higher calling uh, really comes from an understanding that God has greater purposes in mind uh, for the work that we do, uh, regardless of what industry you're in. Um, just this idea, you know, we, we, we can draw this from different places in Scripture, but I always think about uh, maybe a, a passage that we're more familiar with in Colossians that talks about uh, we do our work heartily, we do it passionately for the Lord and and not not for men, that that. Our higher purpose is to serve Him, and it actually talks about you're serving Christ as you 
as you do your work, as you serve clients or customers or associates, uh, we're we're actually working for God. And we think about that. I just think it, it it kind of sheds this entire new perspective on what we're doing. And um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that's what that what that really means is to to understand who we're working for. And I think that's applicable no matter where uh, I happen to be on the so-called corporate ladder. If I'm, you know, if I feel like I'm at the very (laughs) bottom of the ladder, right, that's important that I recognize that what I'm doing, I'm doing is unto the Lord. But if I'm at the very top of the ladder, if I'm in the C-suite, it's really important that I recognize that what I'm doing is work unto the Lord because it's going to affect not only how I run my business, but how I treat other people with whom I'm doing business. Completely. I, I, I work a lot with uh, uh, CEOs, with business owners, and I think one of the foundational principles is understanding that uh, no matter what you're doing, uh, your your business is predicated on serving someone. And if we think about business, is really a means of God's grace, of God's common grace for providing for the world. And so that that changes our perspective to understand this is you know for the person who's a, you know got the bakery I'm going to you think about bread since that's used so much in scripture think about bread uh, the person who is is uh, uh baking the bread um somebody somebody made uh and provided equipment that they bake the bread somebody's providing all the logistics to deliver the bread to stores somebody's selling and marketing the bread um, and so we go all the way down the, the, the ladder. There's so many different people who are touching that, who are part of the process. But ultimately, the, the, the purpose is, you know, is to feed people. And so, you know, there's always this greater purpose in mind. And if we understand that we're, we're one of God's vessels in, in his provision for the world when it comes to business, uh, I, I just think it, it changes our perspective. And uh, – yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. So, David, when we um, we have to take a quick break, when we come back, um, I'm going to ask you why you're doing what you're doing, because you've spent the last 20 years helping marketplace professionals really connect these dots between uh, their work and their faith. And I'm going to ask you why you're passionate about that. Um, and before we uh, before we go to the break, let me just say, hey, a little shout out to those of you toasting the bread this morning. We recognize that that is a labor unto the Lord as well. So so toast mightily, moms. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And He's given us new life. We believe. Continuing my conversation with David Atchison, you can find him on Twitter at David W. Atchison. You can also find him at HigherCallMinistries.org. Um, David, back to the question uh, that I really offered right before the break. You've been at this for twenty, more than twenty years, helping marketplace pro- professionals really connect faith to life. Why, um, why do this? Oh, we just lost him. All right, so we'll be back uh, with David Atchison in just a minute. I have his book in my hand: Reflections on a Higher Call: Pursuing Excellence, Integrity, and Faith in the Marketplace. And um, again, you can find it at HigherCallMinistries.org. Um, the Higher Call is really an expanded vision of of who we are and what we're doing every single day. So it's it's no secret that there's a lot of people who, a lot of Christians, 
who have a really hard time connecting um, the Sunday faith to the Monday morning realities of work and what they're going to face at work. And so um, uh, David's book really directly addresses that, as does the Higher Call uh, Ministries. David, um, we got you back. So talk about why you're passionate about this, why you're passionate about helping marketplace professionals connect faith to life. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm excited and passionate about it on so many levels. Um, you know, first of all, I've, I've, I have found uh, men and women that I've connected with in the marketplace in, in different industries, and specifically in my industry, who um, really do feel like there's, they're kind of a second-class Christian. They're not really uh, – they're somehow not as important um, as as other people who are doing full time ministry, and and part of that is, uh, you know, just this idea that, you know, that there is this there is a disconnect, and and of course I think we know scripturally that there is a connection, a, a deep connection. Uh, one of the men that I work with uh, recently told me, you know, he understands his business now that that is his ministry, and uh, the way he leads his uh, employees, his staff, the way he serves his customers. And so I, I just think it's really important for people to understand just the importance of their work in God's eyes. And then the other thing is I feel like a lot of times people feel really isolated in the marketplace. And and um, it, we're almost there's, – there's a lot of Elijahs walking out there in the marketplace because they feel like, wow, I'm all alone. Uh, I'm the only one who really – you know, knows God or believes believes in God and has this relationship with Christ. And and one of the things that we've tried to do through creating a, a, a network in, in the industry I, I serve in is uh, the idea that no, I'm not alone. Actually, there 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 are other people who are who are in this fight together who are who are really trying to do their work for the Lord who understand. God's grace and, and want to be used by God. So uh, I'm excited about it because I've seen God do so many wonderful things uh, in helping people um, really kind of be God's hands and feet and and serving people and letting his message be out there. I feel like the marketplace is also a great, it's a, it's a great platform for being able to to live out our faith and to be able to articulate the things that we care about and believe in. Um, so, yeah, you, you, you get me started on that. I, I may not stop talking. <laughs> That's okay. I want people uh, to have a little bit of experience inside the book. The book is Reflections on a Higher Call, Pursuing Excellence, Integrity, and Faith in the Marketplace. Um, you can find it at org. if you go to the book page. Um, in in the book, you uh, first of all, it's broken up, just so folks know, um, it's broken up into 10 sections, and each of the sections uh, has five parts, which comes out to be 50, which is really kind of nice because that works for one, you know, one thing that I can focus on for a week, and it really takes me through the whole year. And I appreciate that design. Um, that might lead people to think of this as a devotional. I actually think of this as a work in practical theology. And so both things are true. It, it is a very, it's very devotional, but it's also just a real exercise in practical theology. Uh, and so I want people to know that it's it's rich and deep, but very accessible. Talk with us about one, um, let's just dig into one um, particular aspect of the book. You have a section called Reflecting Your Ultimate Role Model. Tell us about that. 
Well, first of all, Carmen, you need to understand I'm a little bit slow, and I learned I learned slowly. And um, several years ago, I made this discovery that is so obvious. I just I don't even know how I missed it. And that is the fact that we always think about when we think about creation, we think about God creating this amazing world, creating humans in His own in image. But I never really thought of God as a worker. So when God was was creating, He was working. This is how He viewed Himself. And so all of a sudden that just kind of changed everything. I began to think, okay, God is a worker. So how does he work? Uh, and ultimately, as we see the way he works, uh, certainly in creation and, and in uh, the, the first part of Genesis, we see that. But then throughout Scripture, when we see his work, he ultimately becomes the, the role model for us. Um, as humans, we're imp- imperfect. And since we're made in the image of God, we're really made to work like God. And so, you know, what what can we learn about God's work? Well, he, you know, he, he's creative in his work. He, he's very ordered and organized in just thinking about how the world has been uh, created. And uh, he plans his work. He, he finishes what he starts. I mean, we could just go on about all, of, I, I only touched on, you know, five things, but there's, there's so many ways that we can see how God works, and, and he becomes our, our role model for work. You're going to appreciate this comment. Um, David, we have, a, we have an open um, comment line uh, during the show and uh, for people to text in. And we have a listener who just texted in, and she said, I've been a pastor's wife for 35 years. Four years ago, I entered what she describes as the secular world, which I'm going to let you address here in just a second. Um, I have done more ministry in the past four years in the secular world than I did in the previous 31 years in uh, in the ministry proper. Yeah. I mean, right? I mean, she's right. She's right. We have more opportunity to, like, extend grace in a world that is surprised by it than sometimes in the environments where people just expect it. Well, even our language, Carmen, our language hmm. tells you everything. We talk about our the secular world. What, what what is the secular world? All I know is there's God's world. God created the world, and so it's His, and He is so wise and so intentional that He has strategically placed us throughout the world, throughout the marketplace, throughout all these different industries, and we're there because God loves people. And he wants to provide for them, so that's why we do our business. And he also cares about people and their souls, and so we we come alongside and we work with people. And we labor alongside them, and in that process, it's such an opportunity. Uh, I'll never forget years ago, I was invited in by a church, and it was uh, some pastors and some men who were part of the men's ministry. And so they were talking about, you know, coming up with a strategy. How can we help our men uh, in men's ministry? And and so there was a lot of discussion about, about different things. They asked me what I thought, and I said, well, you know, you have you, – you, let me just give you a, a contrast to compare here. You could go out and hire 10 trained pastors who could then go out and start building relationships. You could pay each one of those pastors $100,000 a year. You see, you could have a million-dollar budget. And so you are all in, you're investing 
in trying to reach men. And so then you send those guys out, and they're trying to build relationships and whatnot. And you could take that approach, and you and people would say, wow, you're really invested. Or what you could do is actually mobilize the people who are already out there, who already have jobs, who already have relationships with people in their workplace, and and, and you could give them a vision for God's higher purposes and God's higher calling in their in their work. And now all of a sudden, you know, you, you make a bigger impact in a much shorter period of time because those relationships are already built. Absolutely. And those people are already deployed. Yeah, yes. absolutely. David Atchison is uh, he's not only an author, uh, he is a marketplace minister. He also, you know, frankly, is just a working guy. So blessings today on the labor that you do in commercial real estate uh, and blessings on the Higher Call Ministries. You guys can find it at HigherCallMinistries.org. I highly recommend the book, Reflections on a Higher Call, Pursuing Excellence, Integrity, and Faith in the Marketplace. David, I hope you'll come back and join us again. Thanks, Carmen. Happy Thanksgiving. You too. We'll be right back. So are we concerned about what's happening with Christians around the globe? Um, I believe we are. I know I am. Uh, I like to talk with Ruth Kramer for Mission Network News to get her perspective from ministry partners around the globe about what is happening. So she will be here next. We're going to talk about what is happening in Iran, in Egypt, um, and then we are going to turn to Algeria. I know. Now we're going to have to get out a map. We'll be right back. Do you feel stuffed after eating Thanksgiving dinner? It is so tempting to have second helpings of turkey, cranberry sauce, and pumpkin pie. Hi, I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. You know, feeling stuffed is just part of the holiday tradition. But when you eat too much, you can feel uncomfortable and lethargic. You can actually look at spending money the same way. When you buy more than you need, your home can feel stuffed with things, and that can actually prevent you from being a good steward of the resources God has given you. But there's an easy way to get unstuffed. Simply define what's a need and what's a want. That way you can stop yourself from buying too much and maybe get rid of those extra things that just create clutter. So go ahead, take those second helpings at Thanksgiving. But keep in mind that knowing how much is enough will help you live in contentment. And if you'd like more inspiration to help you be grateful and content this holiday season, visit Thrivent.com slash holidays. And happy Thanksgiving. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Welcoming back Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find everything we're talking about today at MNN. That stands for Mission Network News, MNNonline.org. Ruth, welcome back. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Well, I'm, I have a cold, but hopefully um, I, will, uh, I will soldier on So because it's, it's a first world problem. So. And it's also, you know, it's Thanksgiving week. Nobody's got time for that. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Okay, so um, talk with us about what is going on in Iran. Uh, the, the headline at MNN Online is interesting. Um, the headline is protest in Iran smolder. I will did a little word association in my own heart and mind. Um, the word smolder is um, is something happening be- beneath the surface and it won't give up. That's about right. 
Yeah. So the the situation has been um, really brewing uh, for a long time, and it didn't take much for it to kind of break through the surface. Um, you know, the U.S. sanctions have created an issue with the Iranian economy where things are just more expensive. Um, families that have jobs are now looking at two and three jobs just to try to keep food on the table. Uh, because of the inflation rate, the real, their money monetary unit has dropped in value and the unemployment for people under 40 basically has skyrocketed. So um, you have a lot of people who are upset about uh, the conditions, the situation uh, that they're living in in Iran and they're asking their government to uh, do something about it, to do better than what they've been doing. And uh, the response of the government after announcing finding a new oil reserve was to uh, triple the price of fuel overnight. So basically it would be like uh, you filled up your gas tank uh, last week with $2.50 a gallon for, for gas. And then this morning you go to put more gas in your tank and it's seven fifty dollars a gallon. Um, you know, a bag of apples that used to cost $10 is now like $250. So these are the, the things that the average Iranian family is uh, are facing when it just comes to living. And then with this added layer of the increased fuel prices uh, on top, it just broke through the surface and people are in the streets saying we've had enough. Um, the unfortunate thing is, of course, that the government cracked down on everybody and uh, it pushed the protest from protesting over the fuel uh, hike into more of a we need a new government kind of thing, which is why it's been so long. It's now probably into its third week of protests. And last week we saw, you know, the, the rock throwers uh, being answered by machine gun fire. So it has been a deadly protest. The government has cut off uh, uh, the Internet and phone service up up till about uh, probably Saturday. And then I think it's been restored as of today. So that's the situation facing Iran right now. A lot of our partners that work in the region, uh, that reach out to the, the uh, Iranian uh, people with a message of hope of the gospel, um, are saying that it is still um, possible to reach people and allow them to utilize their platforms to just ask a lot of questions because people are searching for some kind of hope at this point. Um, and they're responsive to the hope of Christ because it is offering something they don't really understand. Uh, so they've had a lot of opportunities to pray for people. They've had a lot of opportunities to just let them speak their hearts and mind and answer from a biblical biblical worldview. Um, and so it's been an, a unique opportunity, but they are asking us to pray because this situation isn't going to go away quickly. Uh, we've seen it happen time and again. The last big one was in, I think, 2009 with the Green Revolution or the Twitter Revolution. And unfortunately, after all of that happened, uh, things went back to exactly the same thing. So nothing changed. So let's, um, let's head west. Let's go from Iran across the Persian Gulf and make our way through Saudi Arabia and then cross the Red Sea into Egypt. So we're still in, um, you know, we're still in the Middle East, but we're talking about another very large landmass nation uh, when we talk about Egypt. And and here we're not so much talking about protests by by the public. We're talking about something that seems to be going on beneath the surface in terms of the persecution of Christians. Tell us what's happening in Egypt. Well, in Egypt, the Egyptian Christians will tell you they feel very much like a second-class citizen in their country. Their, their rights aren't quite the same um, as they are for the Muslims, and especially for those who have converted away from Islam into Christianity. The, the pressure 
on Egyptian Christians is pretty incredible. But this is this story specifically focuses on the Coptic Church, which is the Orthodox Church, Orthodox Church, excuse me, and um, they are raising the alarm because of what they're concerned about coming into the Advent season, and that is. Um, just outright attacks. Uh, basically, starting October 13th, there were a series of arson fires. I'm going to say suspicious fires um, that uh, hit a number of churches in Upper Egypt. And um, in each case, the investigators were saying, okay, this was an electrical fire. Okay, the question that our partners are asking is, okay, we can understand that maybe one church might be an electrical fire, but all three question mark, because in 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 one situation where the fire took place, the rewiring that had been done in the church was done by a certified electrician who was a member of the church. So he was basically saying it couldn't have been an electrical fire because I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And so that brings the question to the other circumstances that were surrounding that, which were things like um, the security forces uh, warning churches to make sure that their CCTV systems were working, that their cameras were all in order, um, and then warning some of the um, Muslims around the area to stay away from the church. Uh, so they knew something was up, and they knew that typically this is the period where uh, extremists tend to target churches because they want to make a statement about things, because they want to stop a church from being able to be effective during this time where you're focusing on Jesus Christ and you're talking about who he is. Um, so there was obviously some kind of awareness that something could be happening. So the question that our partners like Sat7 and uh, Voice of the Martyrs Canada, Voice of the Martyrs USA, the question they're asking is, is this the beginning of something more? Could we be seeing a Christmas Day attack like we did a number of years ago? Um, the reality is that if an extremist wants to target Christians, they know when to do it because Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, the pageantry that goes with that is uh, an easy target because they know that people are going to be congregated in a building for a specific reason, for a specific time, and that's the time that they're going to strike. So the partners are asking us to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Egypt just because of this situation, and they're praying that these kinds of threats, the the intimidation efforts, aren't going to keep Christians uh, silent and that, that it won't keep them away from um, expressing their faith and hope in Jesus Christ. So one of the things that I have learned living in Middle Tennessee, where we have a huge number of Coptic Christians who have relocated from uh, from Egypt uh, here to the greater Nashville area, um, I've learned that Christmas is not celebrated on the same day. So we're not talking about um, threats specifically for December the 25th, as we would think here in the United States. We're talking about the threat of attacks on January the 7th. And so I just think people need to be mindful of that as well. When we're talking about the way Christians express their faith around the globe, we need to ask ourselves, hey, how does the practice of their faith as Coptic Christians in Egypt, how does it differ from the way uh, that I have learned the rhythms of the faith here, maybe as a Protestant Christian in the West or as a Roman Catholic? Um, and so just a, just an interesting note as well, when we talk about the Coptic Christians, it's, it is a different calendar than the one we follow. And um, and I have found them to be uh, very, very precious neighbors and friends here, um, in, you know, as refugees and now residents uh, here in the United States of America. I just want to lift that up. Hey, Ruth, you and I have to take a quick break. When we come back, let's continue to move east 
And let's uh, let's make our way across the top of northern Africa and spend a little time in Algeria. That's up next. I'm continuing my conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can check it all out at mnnonline.org. Okay, for those of you concerned that I failed Geography 101, I you're right. I said east. I meant west. We're going to travel west across the upper uh, portion of Africa. I did get it correct that it was northern Africa. We're going to travel west from Egypt through Libya and find ourselves in Algeria. Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News is here. Ruth, uh, why are you and I going to spend some time in Algeria this morning? Well, there's a number of things that are happening in Algeria. I mean, it came up on our radar screen just because of the nature of the type of protests that were taking place over this year. Uh, now protest people are in the streets again. Uh, they're protesting the upcoming presidential election uh, in about three weeks. They don't want it to take place because they think it's going to be rigged. Um, but this story that we're looking at, it focuses on a little bit of, of, of something different. It's not as political in that sense, and it's not about the presidential elections. Um Algerian believers are kind of protesting in their own way. Now, we've been telling you over the course of the last six months or so that uh, Algeria seems like they've cracked down an awful lot on churches um, within those six months. Um, we're looking at really uh, 12 churches that have been closed the government has closed them and barred the doors uh, since the beginning of 2019. And and some of that is just, you know, it's disguised in a, in a game of semantics. Some of it is basically you don't have the permits to um, to be op- operating as a house of worship with this many people. And so the, the, the game is that you're supposed to go to this committee to, you know, uh, register your church and get everything approved so you can get your permit. But in the time that that committee has been formed— since it's been in, in, in its inception, um, they have never issued a permit. So it's it's just sort of a, a black hole of government red tape. In this case, um, we're talking about a church uh, that's a partner from Sat7. Uh, they're called the Full Gospel Church, and their church was closed. Uh, we talked a little bit about that a couple of weeks ago. And in this situation, they basically said, well, okay, you can close our church, you can lock us out of it, but we're going to protest this. We're we're just going to have our uh, our church on the uh, uh, on the outside, and so their social media is now inviting people to come and join them on their outdoor services, and they're having their worship and their sermons and their preaching and things like that on the steps of their church. If people just Google images of Algeria, um, what what comes up, at least for me, and I know people's Googlers work differently, but what comes up for me are just massive, I mean, massive numbers of people in the streets. I got to tell you, Ruth, this is not something that we're reading about in other, I mean, in other news outlets. Talk with us about the kinds of reporting you're offering at MNN Online, because you are offering stories about what's happening around the globe that other people are not covering. Well, the stories that we cover, uh, obviously, we're looking at the current events, but we're looking at the current events through the lens of the Great Commission. So we're going to be asking partners on the ground what is happening and how this affects the believers uh, in that country and what we can do as a largely North American body. Most of our audience is in North America, Canada and the U.S. Um, 
And we want to know how can we stand alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ. So when we talk to our partners and we cover these stories, we're talking about the context, the backdrop of everything that's happening. Because if something were to happen, let's say we had um, massive demonstrations and riots throughout the United States on a particular topic. Um, Maybe our brothers and sisters in Christ in other countries want to know how does this situation affect you as a follower of Christ in your country? Um, If there's an increasing pressure coming down and suddenly all these Christians are getting arrested for something, how can we be praying for you? That's that's what they do for us, and that's what they're asking that we do for them. Uh, And so that's what we put out there in the stories. How does this situation affect the body of Christ? Sometimes we can't talk to someone on the ground, so we get the, the story from Um, an American who has been in touch with some of our partners because maybe a couple of degrees of separation is safer for them. Uh, Sometimes words that we say might make a government a little bit upset, and we don't want to directly expose someone for just saying, pray for us. Um, So sometimes what the stories you're going to get from us are going to be from a spokesperson in the United States who's talked to the people on the ground. But we're always going to try to give you a perspective of how you can find your place in the story Uh, in a current event. I know, and I just love it. I love this next story as well, because in terms of finding our place um, in what's happening around the globe and the way that we can engage with other people, this is sort of the season of what I describe as the alternative gift market, the ways in which Christians can engage and and support with people or support people in other parts of the world um, through the way that we choose to invest uh, in gift giving this time of the year. Talk with us about Paper Star. Well, the Paper Star is one aspect of a Christmas outreach program from Slava Gospel Association, one of our partners that is active in uh, Europe. Um, most of it is the former Soviet Union. And so they partner with churches. And in this case, our story focuses on what's happening in Russia. They'll partner with a bunch of churches. And um, through the churches, they're able to bring in uh, a series of gifts. Okay, so the gifts are part of the Emmanuel's Child Program. And in these gifts, gift bags, I should say, or like their stockings, um, they have things like a, a Bible, they've got tracks, they've got coloring books, they've got the toys and uh, some Sunday school materials, and they also include a paper star. So if you were to give um, to Emmanuel's Child, you would be sent a paper star that you could write your name on where you're from, and uh, maybe a prayer request, or just let the kid know that you're going to be praying for them. And what what they found is is interesting is that, you know, the, the um, vice president of operations says that when he's been at some of these churches and watched the um, the 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 events that occur while they distribute these uh, these gift bags to the kids, you'll um, notice that the gift bags are set aside, and that the children are holding on to the paper stars, and they want to know who the family is, they want to, to know what the name of the family is, that they have a handwritten card, they want to know the translation of what has been said. They can't believe that there's somebody on the other side of the world praying for them and thinking about them. And even though we might not know who that individual is, um, Emmanuel Starr is, is working for a way to be able to make that a little bit more reciprocal at, the, at this point. It's, it's, it's a big logistics issue, so that's still kind of a, a thing in coming. But um, even though we might not know, God is connecting our hearts. So Amen. if you're 
with something like that, you can still be praying because it's actually making a difference. And, you know, it has a profound impact on whole families. In fact, you know, sometimes, um, you know, Eric was saying that as he's been around the communities where he's watched some of these distributions, he sees these Emmanuel stars hanging from people's rearview mirrors in their cars because it means something. The family is touched that someone is thinking about them and, and bringing them before the throne of heaven. I mean, that's just an awesome thing to them. And so it is a way to um, further a discipleship effort from a local church uh, church body in Russia or in the former Soviet Union. So that's Emmanuel Starr. I think that um, this and other opportunities for us to sit at table fellowship with our own families here in the next few days and say, hey, how are we not only going to be grateful to God for what we have, but how are we going to extend those blessings to others? This really provides a very tangible way of doing that. Um, And just let me say to our listeners, there's some urgency related to this, obviously, because these things have to get halfway around the world through, um, you know, some serious logistics. You've got about a week. Um, to, to make this decision and to and to act on this particular opportunity. Um, and so check it out at mnnonline.org. Ruth, thank you uh, as always, and happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Thank you. We'll be right back. Some people might be wondering, what is alternative giving? Um, okay, so I first learned uh, about this concept of alternative giving you know, a long time ago through something called the Heifer Project, which is, uh, you know, a way that uh, a family here or an individual here in the United States of America or, frankly, now anywhere around the world can give the gift of uh, of animals um, that, that then reproduce and provide an income for a family in another place. So you could buy a chicken, you could buy a duck, you could buy a calf, you can, I mean, no, 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 you could actually buy a whole ark. That's kind of fun. Maybe you have a family that wants to give a whole ark of heifer gifts. Um, But after heifer, then there was this multiplication of alternative gift giving. And so check it out. Find a way to give in alternative ways this year, extending the blessings of God uh, poured into your life, into the lives of others. We got another hour of Morning with Carmen. Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.